Glory to God. Well, to start off here this morning, we are going to have a, a short video clip. We'll describe that here in just a minute. Just wanted to get you caught up in where we're going because we're actually jumping back a couple of weeks. We took two weeks on a little tangent, and you'll see why we took those two weeks on that little tangent here in just a little bit. But remember back in number 16, we were back over there. We were talking about uh, some of the things that went on with Korah. But here's just a review on what we went over the last couple of weeks. There are three realms from which every attack comes. They will generally come from one. They will originate in one. Sometimes they will stir up two. But there's always one realm from which they come from. There is Satan's kingdom, the world system, and our flesh. Those are the three realms. This is just review from what we had in the last couple of ones. When an attack comes from Satan's kingdom, its substance is deception and wrong thinking. If the deception of your attack is deception and wrong thinking, it is coming from Satan. That's where it originated from. It may stir up your flesh. It may stir up the world, but that's where it originated from. That's where it comes from. Then there's the world system. The world system works on conformity and pressure. It is trying to get you to change what you're doing to leave the Word of God by conformity and pressure. The last one is for our flesh. Our flesh works on temptation and wrong desires. If you can pinpoint where your attack comes from, you can better able to defend against it. We need to know what to, what to do, how to stand up against it. When the attack comes against, uh, when it comes from, from Satan, our defense is in him. The Word of God tells us to submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's your defense if it comes from that realm. But if it comes against your flesh, all the submission you do to God doesn't seem to have all much bearing. Because you can't resist your flesh and win. You'll resist for a while. But then you kind of give up. Look at it this way. How many folks, we always go back to diets, but just about everybody has been on a diet of some kind. You go into a diet, your flesh rises up. How long can you resist that piece of chocolate? You can resist, 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 but eventually you give in until you have a higher purpose. When you sell out to a higher purpose, you're no longer just resisting your flesh. See, that's where you... That's where you change things on that. But when we have an attack that comes from the world system, how we're going to defend against that is first off, know the word. Hold to the word. Don't seek the world's approval or its blessings. Know the world is going to hate you because of the word that is in you. That's just the way it is. If the world hates you, pat yourself on the back. Glory to God, I'm doing something right. If the world likes you, something might be wrong. If you were ever wondering, should I vote for a political candidate or not? Simply ask yourself this. Does the world like them? That's all you got to do. Ask yourself, does the world like them? If the world is in love with that particular political candidate, more than likely, the word is not in them. When the word is in them, they can't stand them and they do everything they can to get rid of them. All I need to do when I start doing research on political candidates, I just stand back and wait and see which ones are hated the most. That's all. I don't need party affiliation. I just see which one do they hate the most. Whichever one they hate the most, whichever one they're afraid of the most, that's the one that probably has the word in them. Isn't it sad that the world can recognize the word, word in our candidates before the church can? That's just a side note. 
Know the word, hold to the word, don't seek the world's approval or its blessing. Our defense comes from the word of God. That's what we need to do. Hang on to the word of God. This is where we need to go. Remember when Jesus was, was battling the devil? When the devil brought up the things in the world, what did he do? He used the word against it. The devil rose up, tried to stir up the world system against him. Use the word. Then there's our flesh. When it's our flesh, bring it into subjection to your spirit. That's what needs to happen. Just because you know the word doesn't mean you got your flesh under control. Knowing the word won't get your flesh under control. How do you get your flesh under control? It comes through discipline and being in authority over your body. That you can know all the diet books you want to. That knowledge is not going to help you diet, is it? You've got to be able to take you gotta be disciplined. You've got to be able to take authority over your flesh. You've got to be sold out to a higher purpose. Our defense comes from our discipline and our training. Some time ago, Walt Disney uh, Productions put out a picture, put out a movie, and uh, many people were resistant to watching it. And then many people fell into it. Most people who have watched this movie have watched it 20 times. Most people who have not watched this movie can't stand it already. So what we're going to do is we're going to show you a clip from this movie. I did not see this movie for, for a long time. My granddaughter fell in love with this movie the first time she watched it, which was, what, a year ago? I remember her sitting in front of the TV and being mesmerized at about a year on th- at this movie. Just mesmerized by it. And we were just kind of in awe that, that, it, that it did that. But anyway, if you, how many have ever heard of the movie Frozen? All right. Frozen is a, I mean, it's a, you all can be a little bit tired of it, but we're going to show you a clip from it, and I'm going to tell you to look for something ahead of time. Every once in a while, Disney buries something in the movie. I did not find this because of my great wit and superior intelligence. I was told to look for it, and I looked for it, and it was there. All right, how many of y'all know the villain in the movie Frozen? Uh, Prince Hans, I believe his name is. Prince Hans, throughout the entire movie, is the only character who wears gloves. The only one who wears gloves. And Prince Hans only takes off a glove during one scene in the movie. It is during the scene in which he reveals himself to be a fraud. All the rest of the time, he is concealing who he is. And all the time he conceals who he is, the gloves stay on. The only time in the movie when he doesn't is the only time he takes the gloves off. Show our clip. So that's the clip. Did you see the glove come off? It's a little darker than it was on my computer screen. He puts it back on just as he pronounces himself the hero. And the concealing goes back on. Many times there are people who penetrate the kingdom of God, the church, our lives, our families, and they have purposely concealed themselves from what their true intentions are. And then when they come out with who they are, we become surprised. But see, all we need to do is know what the Word of God says, and the Word of God will reveal them to us before that ever becomes a problem. We're going to go back over to our story here in Numbers chapter 16 because we have some more rebels to to check out and and to look at. Rebellion 
is, of course, an enemy to submission. If I am in rebellion, I'm not in submission. If I'm not in submission, I'm vulnerable to the enemy. And we need to understand more about the idea of rebellion. So this time we're going to look at the source of rebellion here in Numbers chapter 16 and verse 41. We have uh, taught on this passage of Scripture before. Best I could tell is about uh, 12 years ago, 11, 12 years ago we, we went over this. I took some of the things from the very same notes from back then and added some others. But it is a story that we do need to keep in mind. Verse 41, on the next day, this is the next day after Korah, after all those who were with Korah, you know, the ground opening up, swallowing them up, fire coming out of the sky and burning up those who were offering strange fire. The people all saw this acts of God, fire coming out from heaven, burning up 250 people, earth opening up, swallowing up people and tents, but no one else, just the ones that were in rebellion. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. How many did it? All. How hard is it in any group of people to get everyone to do something? They got two to four million people, all, to agree to do this, except, of course, for the handful of ones that we know are not rebellious, which was uh, Joshua and Caleb and uh, Aaron and Miriam. The, 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 just There's a handful that were there. But all the rest of them were rebelling. You have killed the people of the Lord. How in the world could they have opened up the ground? How could they have brought fire down from heaven? Now what happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting and suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. Now this is a list. I didn't look where I got it from. This is one I copied over from the, the other one. I'm pretty sure it came right out of Dakes because it sounds like Dakes. This is, there are seven different occasions in which the glory, the cloud and the glory make their appearance in the Word of God. I gave you the seven. It looks like there's eight, but actually I think well, two of the references are the same. Talking about the same event, they're there. But seven different occasions in which the cloud and the glory make their appearance, which tells you it doesn't happen too often. So it happened here, and they got their attention. So while this is going on, Moses and Aaron haven't done anything. The people have just risen up. They got out. They saw them in front of their tent. They saw, they turned to the tabernacle of meeting, and suddenly the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle meeting and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Now we heard these words before. In fact, in Exodus 32 verse 10, we see that God says to Moses, Now, let me alone. He's going to wipe them all out. And Moses didn't leave them alone. So he didn't wipe them all out. The uh, previous uh, time we were looking at this in Numbers 16.21, Separate yourselves. That's from among the rebels. Here's this one. Get away from among. But this one is told to Moses and Aaron and those that were with Moses and Aaron, get away, I'm going to wipe all of them out. Three times we see that this, this occurred. It does not happen often. Since it doesn't happen often, obviously what they did got God mad. 
because of the three times this happens, two times are in Numbers chapter 16. That's saying something. Three times this happens, two times in this same chapter. Rebellion God despises. So Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar, put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly and already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made the atonement for the people and he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 beside those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle meeting for the plague had stopped. This happens quickly. This does not take a lot of time. We're not looking at days. We're not looking at hours. We're looking at minutes. From the time that the wrath went out from the presence of God to the time the plague started, when this plague hit, there, is no, there are no sick people. When the plague hits, you are dead. Aaron stood between the dead and the living. He made intercession. Moses saw what was going on. He saw that, that wrath had gone out from God. He knew the time now is not to pray. We need to make atonement for the people. So Aaron grabs the censer which was just used in the previous story. His is gold. He got rid of all the bronze ones. He has the gold censer. He grabs the gold censer, he puts the incense in it, and he goes out to make atonement for the people. If Aaron doesn't do that, the entire congregation is wiped out. In, in minutes, 14,000 are wiped out. That is something else. So Moses doesn't spend any time trying to convince God to turn away his judgment because wrath has already gone out. I'll tell you what, that's something we could all get a hold of because there have been times that God's wrath has gone out to people that we deal with and we're still praying for them. We don't understand God. We don't know how to tap into God. We don't know how to recognize what God's doing. Moses did. Because of it, he saved some people. So the very people who come up to his door and are rebelling against them, the same ones who want to kill him, the same ones who make accusation against him, are the same ones he's pleading for their, for their life, the same ones in which he is working to keep them alive. Now here's a question here. Where does judgment come from? We almost got into this two weeks ago, or the, uh, a couple of weeks ago, when we first were in number 16. Remember in number 16? And uh, I was trying to end up early and end up going long anyway. And we still didn't get into this, but we're going to get into it here today. Why does judgment come? A lot of times people have a misconception of why judgment comes. Why does God send judgment and kill his people? Why does he do that? Why does he send this plague and kill his people? Why does he do these particular things? And here's what we, we don't understand. Is that God has put a hedge about us. Remember in the book of Job? Where you have put a hedge about him. And because of that hedge, the enemy couldn't get close to him. Well, folks, there is a hedge about you for which the enemy cannot get close to you on. The Word of God has said, the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, meaning he can't devour everyone. So he's got to get you into a position in order to be able to devour you or to do something to you. Let me read a couple of scriptures to you. This is one you're all familiar with. Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, 
and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Well, we all like to be, you know, the unsaved people like to throw out this thing, judge not, lest you be judged, because they're basically saying, leave me alone, let me do whatever it is that I want to. But this is not what the Word of God ever teaches. The Word of God never teaches us not to judge the actions of other people. What it teaches us not to do is do not judge the heart. You cannot judge the heart of another person, but you can judge the action. The Word of God tells us in Corinthians, Paul exhorts the church. He says, For what what have I to do with judging those outside the church? Judge those inside the church and purge the evil from among yourselves. The very same scripture in which we say, Judge not lest ye be judged, talks about uh, pulling out the the, um, speck from your brother's eyes. He says, how can you pull a speck out of your brother's eyes when you have a log in your own? He says what? Don't ever remove the speck from your brother's eyes? Is that what he said? No, he said, first of all, remove the log from your own, then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's. See, it's about an attitude. If you have an attitude that I'm, I'm fine, but I need to take care of this little tiny thing with you. No. No, you need to take care of yourself first. Get yourself taken care of and then go out there and help him. The Word of God tells us also. He said, if you see your brother in sin, what should you do? Well, let him die there. No, he says pray for him. Well, it, how do you know if your brother's in sin? You have to, don't you have to make a judgment? Well, I judge that what you're doing is, is sinful. See, this is where we get into a problem is we don't understand judgment correctly Therefore, we think I'll just stay out of all judgment and I won't do anything. But the Word of God says, judge not that you be not judged. But it also tells us at times that we are supposed to judge. If I only take a part of the Word of God, I'm not getting the whole truth. And if I don't get the whole truth, I won't be set free. If I don't battle a thing with the Word, I'm not going to have victory. See, what what the enemy understands is this. If he can get you into a place where you will judge the motives, the heart, or the intent of another person based on what you see, he can pull you into judgment on yourself because you're not extending any mercy. You're extending judgment. You want mercy for yourself, but you're putting judgment on other people. How many times have you been tempted? How many times have you given in to the in fact, you're, you're out there with some other folks and somebody comes up in conversation. And in that conversation, we begin to talk about all the shortcomings of such and such an individual. What have we done? We are lured into judging. Right into, into judging. Now, I think we told a story. I was having a conversation with somebody somewhere. I think it was a Facebook conversation this week and they were asking I made reference to this story and they said where can I find it I said I don't know I've just, I just tell it I don't know where to tell you to find it at but I think we've told it here but I, I haven't gone back And how many remember, remember me telling you about the time that Brother Hagen got pulled into judging another minister I learned a lot from that story he, he was with a group of ministers and in this group of ministers they brought up a certain minister who had fallen into, uh, who had done some things. 
and they described these things to Brother Hagin, who was there in the group. What do you think about Brother So-and-so who did this? And he simply said, well, if he did that, I suppose that's wrong. And he went on. And the Lord convicted him of it. I don't know what he did with all the rest of the ministers in the group. They weren't telling the story. But Brother Hagin, he said, the Lord convicted him on it. And he says, what are you doing passing judgment on my servant? And he says, well, I didn't pass judgment on him. Somebody just asked me an opinion. I just simply said, if he did that, I, I thought it would be wrong. He says, well, first off, he says, you don't know what that servant of mine was up to, what that servant of mine was up against, and nor do you know how well you would have fared in the same situation. And Brother Hagin simply said, well, you're right on that. <laughs> I said, Father, I've, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. And he repented, and he, he went on. He made sure he never got involved in the, into doing that again. You see how easy we can get pulled into stuff like that? I just love that story because it just tells you so much about what we, what we need to, to not do. If you get pulled into a judgment situation like that where you pronounce judgment, what have you done to yourself? You pronounce judgment on it. Two cases in the Word of God. David, caught with the thing with Bathsheba, was not repenting with all the things that God was sending his way in the spirit, all the things that were happening. So finally he sent his a prophet. And the prophet says, Prophet Nathan says, I have a story for you, David. There was a family. They had a little, little lamb. They treated this lamb just like a member of the family. They loved this little lamb. Took care of it. And then uh, this, other, this other man next to him had all kinds of sheep. Lots of sheep. And when somebody came on over and needed to be fed, they came over and got the little lamb from this family instead of using one from their, their own. What do you think we should do to the man? David was filled with wrath. He was filled with anger. He said the man should, should pay seven times and, and named all the different things about it. And what did the prophet say? You are the man. You are the man. And David pronounced judgment on himself. And then God went and softened it. Because David, upon hearing that, says, I have sinned. But a similar situation was with, uh, with, with some other folks that were, were, were brought into the... Uh, just, just like that. We were just looking at them on Wednesday night where uh, Ahab was uh, given charge of a certain king, the king of Syria. He was supposed to take care of this, this king, wipe this king out, and he didn't do it. And we had the story that went on where a, uh, a prophet got asked somebody to strike him. The prophet struck him and he put a bandage on his face so he wouldn't be recognized because apparently that prophet would be recognized by the king Ahab. And so he stood by the side of the road and he, said, and he told a story. He says, your servant was given charge. One of my commanders gave me this, this uh, prisoner. He said, watch him with your life. And while I was busy doing things here and there, the prisoner escaped. And Ahab said, your judgment be upon yourself. And with that, the prophet took his bandage off and he says, you were given charge of a prisoner and your judgment will fall upon you. See, a lot of times, folks, we are pronouncing judgment on ourselves. We don't realize it. Every time that I get pulled into judging another believer, another person that is around me, another minister, every time I get pulled into doing that, the words that I speak the enemy can then use against me. Because look at what it says in the book of Revelations. Revelations chapter 12 and verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren 
who accused them before our God day and night has been what? Cast down. Satan accuses the brethren day and night. Why does he accuse? Because his goal is to get a judgment against us. If he can get a judgment against us, we are neutralized. So he keeps bringing accusation, accusation, accusation. And as long as we stay in Christ, we have the, the, the ability to say, I'm in him, his righteousness, his righteousness. I wear his righteousness. But as soon as we get out into that area where we begin passing judgment onto other people, then what happens? One more story for you from the word of God. Remember the parable that Jesus told of the servant who was forgiven a huge debt, millions of dollars. And he said, have patience with me. I will pay you all. And the master said, I forgive you the whole thing. I forgive you the whole thing. Here, we just, just wiped the whole thing out. And they, and they went on. Well, a little bit while later, some, he went out and he found somebody who owed him a denarius, day's wage. And said, pay me all that you owe me. And what did he say? He said, same words. Exact same words. Have patience with me. I will pay you all. And the guy wouldn't have patience with him and threw him into prison until he would pay all that he owed. Well, word got back to the master, to the king. He called him back in. He says, what's this that you've done? You haven't shown mercy. He showed judgment. So what happened to him? Judgment came. See, folks, if we really knew the word of God, we would be afraid to pass judgment in the wrong way. You cannot judge a person's motive, nor can you judge the intent of their heart until that person reveals it. Sometimes people will reveal it to you, and they'll just tell you, this is what's going on. Sometimes you say, why did you do that? Because I hate them. I now know the motivation of your heart. I don't have to seek after God. You told me what the motivation of your heart was. We know what it was. But as far as actions are concerned, do you, do you need the, to understand the motivation of a person's heart to understand that robbing a bank is wrong? And there are a number of other things you can get into beside that. That's just a nice easy one. You can say, no, that, that action is wrong. I don't know what made you do it, but I can tell you that action is wrong. You can judge the action without passing judgment on the person, without condemning the person. And this is where we need to go, folks. We need to get to a place where we can, we can pronounce judgment on the action, but still love the person. And that's where God wants us to be at. Still love the person. Still have the intent for the person. But the devil wants to get us, get us into a place where we judge the motives and intent of the heart. And it begins to build up on the inside of us hate, distrust, anger, all kinds of things against that particular person. And when we say things out of our mouth, we're pronouncing judgment on ourselves. We got a lot of people out there, ministers, you know, the thing got out there, one minister, he was buying a new jet airplane to get around uh, from one continent to another, intercontinental one. And people all over were passing judgment on it. I, I didn't pass judgment. I, I don't. I don't know what his. What his. I don't know what his needs are. I don't know what God has done is as far as telling him. That's between him and God. And you know what? I have absolutely no say in the matter. He doesn't come and check with, check out with me the things that he's doing. 
He has no reason to. I have no reason to pass judgment on him. He's got people that he's under. If they saw a problem with it, they would probably say it. I just tell people, if you don't feel on board with it, don't support it. Let somebody else support it. <laughs> but don't, don't get sucked into this thing of pronouncing judgment on people. You, you, you can't do that. You, don't, you just don't know. I'll tell you what, I, I stay on guard. I don't, don't say that I get this done 100%. There's still times I've, if I fall into the wrong spot and I'm, oh, no, I'm not supposed to judge that. That's not my calling. That's not what I'm supposed to do. When I do that, I open up the door for the enemy to come in and bring me into a place of judgment. All right, one more story. I do have one more for you. Remember the story of Balaam and Balak? Remember he couldn't curse them? So what did he do? We found out in the New Testament what he did. He gave counsel to the king. And he says, look, do this. Take the young woman, dress them up in a certain way, make them look very alluring, and send them out amongst the men. And draw the men into uh, sexual sin, into idolatry, bring them into your parties, and then you will bring them into a place where judgment from God will come. And it worked just like he said. The men, they got involved in that. The judgment of God came down. They got taken care of. And then they went after. Took care of uh, uh, Balaam and Balak. Got them both taken care of. But that was the wrong thing. But see, it was a counsel of the enemy. If, if we can't touch you, let's bring you into a place where your words, where your actions will bring you in line to be judged by God. And that's what the enemy wants to try and do. Don't give in to it. Don't do it. You'll be tempted to, to do that. But as soon as you do, what happens is, is there, there's a rebellion that's working inside. There is, you can't say those things and do those things without some kind of rebellion coming up on the inside of you. Don't be doing it. I'm in submission to God. That's God's uh, man or woman of God. It's his job to take care of them. I'm not supposed to do that. Brother Hagin used to tell us, I think he told us in, in line with this story, probably it was. Uh, you might remember more. I, I just know he said this over and over again. He says, ministers will rise and ministers will fall. But you make sure you have nothing to do with their fall. I said, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can do that. Same attitude David had towards Saul. David said, God's the one who rejected them. God's the one who appointed me. God's the one who will remove him. And David wasn't about to do it. Don't step into that area. I put this in your outline for you. The enemy is trying to get you to open the door for judgment to come. Keep it closed. Keep it closed. Attacks come to us from all the, the three realms. We listed them there for you again. First off, to pull us into sin. Secondly, to push us into judgment. If the enemy cannot pull you into sin, then he will elect to push you into judgment. You judging other people wrongly. If he can do that, it's just as effective as putting you into sin. Thereby opening a door for judgment to come. So Aaron is sent into the midst of the congregation. This is where the plague was going on. Now I put in your notes here too, that this was a fast-moving plague. 14,700 people died in whatever number of minutes had transpired. 10 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever number of time transpired, 14,700 die in the plague. That is a lot of people. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and get from them a rod from each father's house, all their leaders according to their father's house, houses, twelve rods. Write each man's name on his rod, and you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Write each man's name on his rod, and you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony, where I will meet you. And it shall be the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece, for each leader according to their father's house, twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. So each tribe contributes a rod for the purpose of demonstrating. And, that, and the one that's selected is Levi's. Now they, it seems that the house is just inscribed on all the other rods, and the house of Levi is inscribed on Aaron's rod, but Aaron's name specifically is also inscribed there. He seems to be the only one that has his name specifically inscribed on there. The rest of them are the house, and we know who the leader of that house was. In uh, verse 7, Then Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron in the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds, had produced blossoms, and yielded ripe almonds. In one day, a dead stick did all that. Then Moses brought out all the rods before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to, to be kept as a sign against the rebels, that you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. Thus they did just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. So the children of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, Surely we die, we perish, we all perish. Whoever even comes near the top of the Lord must die. Shall we all utterly die? So now they're in fear. <laughs> now, they're, now they're afraid. God is not around to produce fear in us. That's not the idea. When they let fear be produced in them, all right, now we're afraid of God's presence, now we're afraid, they haven't let God have His perfect work because God does not want to work fear in us. God wants to work respect. God wants to work love. The verses that uh, Brother Mike was going over. Uh, sound, all the, sound mind, all these. This is what God wants to work with His Spirit. Not fear. But they have fear, which means what was working in them was not being done by God, which is why it didn't last and why they went into rebellion down the road from here. Rebellion is a problem. Now, here's the thing. I think I wrote this in your, in your outline. Was Aaron the best man? Was Aaron the best man? Of all the people that are in Israel right now, was Aaron the best man? Well, quite frankly, I can't answer that question. I know that Aaron has a lot of faults. We had the incident at the foot of the mountain with the uh, golden calves and such things like that. That didn't seem like he was doing so well. There were times that he and Miriam rebelled against Moses. That wasn't such a good thing. There were, there were problems with Aaron. So was he the best man? See, that's what a lot of times we, we ask. We look at different leaders. We look at different people in positions of power. Is that the best person? We're asking the wrong question. That's a lot of times a tactic of an enemy. Get you to ask the wrong question. If you ask the wrong question, you don't get the right answer. That You, you don't get the answer that you need. 
see a lot of times when we're looking at the Supreme Court decision this year. We've got a couple of them, and we're just you know, scratching our heads at these things. How in the world can the Supreme Court decide all this stuff? Well, see, they didn't ask the right question. They didn't ask, what did the Constitution say? They asked the question, what do we think the Constitution should have said? Because quite truthfully, folks, the Constitution does not say anything about babies. It doesn't say anything about marriage. It doesn't say a word about it. It doesn't say that heterosexual marriage is the only way to go. It doesn't say that gay marriage is wrong. It doesn't say it. It doesn't say a word about it. Therefore, if it doesn't say a word about it, how can something be constitutional or unconstitutional? You can't declare it either way. The same thing that people try and get truths out of the Word of God, that the Word of God doesn't speak to. If the Word of God doesn't speak to it, then we don't know. I'll give you a couple of uh, points. How many of y'all like the, the doctrine of babies? You know, what happens to babies who are aborted? What happens to babies that are uh, young and they, and they die before they get a chance to become born again? People ask those questions. What does the Bible say about it? And not a whole lot. About the only thing we have about that is David said of his son, he says, I won't go to, he won't come to be with me, but I will go to be with him. That's about it. We don't have a whole lot on, on the thing with babies. We, would, we have what we think. How many of y'all have some things in your mind that you would like the Word of God to say about babies? Yeah, and see, we sometimes inject that into the Word of God. But the Word of God isn't there. So I simply say it this way. I don't know. The Word of God doesn't tell us. But I know that God is fair and that God is just. And whatever God comes up with will be just right. Because I don't know. And if the Word of God doesn't spend any time on it, I guess we don't need to spend a whole lot of time on it either. But I know that God will take care of things. God, God loves kids. Whatever it is, that I don't know how He's going to do it. But however He did, He took care of it in a fair and just and, and right way. And, and that's about it. But you, you all know, just in a thing like that, that can stir up your emotions. And there are some things you would like to be in there. People are asking the wrong questions. We're not, we're not doing the right thing. The question is not, is Aaron the best man? The question is, is Aaron God's man? That's all you need to know. Is David the best man in Israel in his day? I don't know. We saw some flaws in David, didn't we? We know that David is not a perfect man. I don't know if David is the best man. He might be. But we don't know that. What we do know is that David is God's man. What we do know is that Aaron is God's man. What we do know is that Moses is God's man. They're the one that God picked. So if I pass judgment on Moses, if I pass judgment on Aaron, if I pass judgment on David, who am I passing judgment on? I'm passing judgment on God. Can you believe that? And if I pass judgment upon God, what defense do I have? But you see, the enemy has pulled you in to do all those things and you don't realize what you're doing. You know, if Brother Creflo Dollar is God's man and doing what God told him to do, doing it the way God told him to do it, and we all stand around saying, well, I don't think you ought to spend that money. What are we doing? I'm passing judgment on God. I don't want to be in that place. <laughs> I don't want to do it. 
He answers to God. He's got other people to answer to. And I, last I checked, he's getting people born again, filled with the Spirit, doing some good things. Glory to God. You know, he and I, if we ever sat down, we had it. We never have, probably may never get to. But if we ever sat down and had a doctrinal discussion, I'm sure that there's going to be some doctrinal areas that we're not on the same page with. I'm sure there's some, some areas he's thinking differently on, I'm thinking differently on, and that's all fine. That doesn't mean we ever have to, to uh, be disagreeable or dislike or pass judgment. You know, for all I know, he may be ahead of me on some things. Who knows what, what, what's going on with that. But I don't, I don't need to do that. Because if I get sucked into passing judgment on someone in the body of Christ for what they're doing, I'm passing judgment on God. And that's not a place I ought to be. That's rebellion. But see, it's a backdoor into rebellion. We think we're not rebelling. We think we are standing up for principles of God. We think we're standing up for what is right. And therefore, we get even more uh, indignant about it, even more staunch. And folks, it's wrong. It's rebellion. God is a big God. If He can take care of all these universes and all these suns and all these planets and all the things going on on earth, He can take care of a stray man of God or man of woman here and there. He can do it. And if He wants them out of the way, they'll be out of the way. But you see, He's going to give them time to repent. Yeah, but look at all the people that are deceived, that they're deceiving. How many have ever thought that? I need to stand up because all the people they're deceiving. The only people they are deceiving are people who don't know the Word and haven't learned it and don't put themselves to, to study it because you cannot be deceived if you know the Word. The Word is a light unto our path. It is a light. It is there for you. That's why we tell you here. Whatever I teach you, check it out in the Word. We write down the Scriptures for you so you can go home and check it out. Study it out for yourself. Make sure that you see it. We tell you all the time. Anything that is worthwhile is three things. We give you these three principles. How often we give you these three principles? It's first off, it is taught directly in the Word of God, not a veiled reference. Not a veiled reference at all. It is taught often. And third, it is demonstrated. And we take every truth, every principle that we, we put out to you based on those three things. It is taught directly, it is taught often, and it is demonstrated. If someone wants to come to you and teach you something that is not in the Word of God and is not demonstrated by somebody, it is a new thing for this day, run. Get away. You do not need to be nearby. Don't let that kind of stuff come on. Not going to help you out. All right, let's finish this off. Put this in your outline, I believe. Israel rebels against God by rebelling directly against Moses. But it's a rebellion against God. Do I have those things in your outline for you or do I cut them out? I cut them all out? I knew I had to cut out a bunch of stuff. So, How many times has Moses' inter- intercession saved the children of Israel? How many times? Quite a few, right? How many times has Moses' prayers provided for them? Water, food, deliverance, help. How many times has he prayed them out of a situation? What I want you to see is this. Moses continues to serve them as a leader. 
Now, this part I left in your outline because I want to make sure you got it. A God kind of leader is one who does not let the hurts, frustrations, and anxieties caused by people get in the way of the responsibilities, duties, and service of the calling. I know you didn't probably get all of them in the one time I'll read it through again. A God kind of leader is one who does not let the hurts, frustrations, and anxieties caused by people. You all know people can cause that, right? People can cause hurts. People can cause frustrations. People can cause anxieties. But a God kind of leader is one who does not let those things caused by people get in the way of the responsibilities, duties, and service of the calling. That is what a God kind of leader does. A God kind of leader does not have to be perfect. A God kind of leader does not have to, to uh, be sinless. Because, folks, there's only one leader in the Word of God who was sinless. That was Jesus. What a God kind of leader needs to do is to not let all the things that people do to you stop you from doing what God has said you ought to do. Moses is that kind of leader. Aaron was that kind of leader. Aaron went out in the midst of the people who want to kill him to offer uh, the incense atonement for the people so they would stop dying. He ran out into the heart of the plague that was killing people rapidly. Would you do that? Because you've got to know, these folks don't know what's going Why are they... Why? They called it a plague. They didn't say they were struck by God. They called it a plague. So somehow it looked like they were getting sick. And you go out in the midst of people getting sick and they're dying. You're going to go out in the midst of that? For people who want to kill you so they can rise up and kill you again? That's tough, isn't it? That's the God kind of leader. That's what, you ought to, that's what we got to get to a place to do. As long as the enemy keeps us in a rebellious state, we are no better than the children of Israel who wandered around the wilderness and died. As long as we are in a rebellious state, we are no better than the children of Israel who wandered around the wilderness and died. That's not in your outline, I'm just telling you. We're no better. What we need to do is to get, our, get ourselves out of that rebellion into a place of submission because that's where God can use us. The people we saw in the beginning of, chapter, of Numbers chapter 16, the people we see in this part of Numbers chapter 16 are all people who think I'm not being used. Moses is not putting me in the right place. I should be one of the high priests. I should be one of the whatever. I'm not there. And they all see it as Moses' fault. None of them ever see their own rebellion. Folks, is rebellion still in you? Do you? Can it still be stirred up? Can people talking about a brother, sister, minister in the Lord and some of the things they're doing, can they still talk about one and get you stirred up? I mean, how many, how many prominent men and women of God do we have out there? I'll just name a few for you. But uh, Brother Copeland, he's out there. There's websites out about him. Um, 
I'm trying to think of the, uh, can't think of her now. But she, she just, she's a real, real sharp gal. Uh, tough, tough. I just, I can't think of. Joyce Meyer, thank you. Man, she's tough. I'll tell you, I enjoy her. She is, she is good. She will just hit you right between the eyes. And I'm sure that there's stuff that they write about her. There's people that they will, that are out there, and they're, they're, they're serving to help you and me grow in the body of Christ. Just like Moses and Aaron were there to help the children of Israel. And what does the body of Christ do? Talk about them. Put them down. Pass judgment. And the devil loves it because it keeps us weak. It puts us in the place to be judged. And it keeps them from doing all that they should do. Let's not get, stay in there. Let's get recognized rebellion on the inside of us and get rid of it. As soon as rebellion starts to work up and we start wanting to talk about brother, sister, so-and-so. As soon as we start wanting to, to, to judge their heart and their motive when we don't know it. How are you going to know it? Ask them. You know, you're not above that. You can go do that. If I, uh, if I saw somebody missing God and I went up to him and says, look, I'm seeing you do these things. I'm concerned about you. And I ask him, why are you doing it? And he tells me his motive. Well, then I can talk to him about his motive. But you see, if I go on, if we go on from there and I go to everybody else, you know why he does that? He does it because of this. I'm wrong. You go in and correct a, a, a fellow believer, no one else should know about it between you and them. Keep it that way. Don't be talking to anybody else. You do that, God can use you. If you don't, it's rebellion that stirs up on the inside. It's rebellion that says, I want people to look at me for who I am and I want them to look at them as being less. Don't be doing it. Rebellion's a bad place to be. It's not a good thing to, to have going on. We've all had it. We've all been in places. I've had it. I've had. I've been rebellion against some bosses. I've had. I saw some things they did. I knew they could do better. I knew they should do better. I let people know who were around me that they should do better, and I was wrong. I was wrong for doing it. I had to come to a place of repentance my, of myself. You know, I can't do that. No matter how wrong I think they are, I am wrong for saying it, for talking to other people about it. And I have I've got to work that out of my system. There's still times I can come on up. There's still times I may have somebody who's above me. And I say, I don't know why they're doing that. That's not for me to be talking out loud about. Learn to roll it off on God. God, if they're not supposed to be doing that, then, then you go ahead. Glory to God. Would you all stand up with me? Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you that you help us to overcome all the things that are going on in the area of rebellion. All the things that are going on that would try and stir us up to bring us into a wrong place of judgment that the enemy could bring judgment upon us. But Father, we want to stay out of that. We want to stay in the path that you have for us. We want to stay in the area of blessings. We want to look at these folks you put in the Word of God and learn from them. The Abrahams, Moses, Aaron, Miriam. So many people in the, in the Word of God that you used. We need to learn from them. Father, we thank you for it. There is no leader that is above us, no person who is side to side with us, and no one else that we minister to who is perfect and without sin. We need to keep that in mind. 
anytime we go and we use what you've given us to correct. Thank you for the help that you give us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is our communion Sunday. We're going to have communion together and, and then we'll share some of the, the praise reports that we have here. On the same night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread before the supper and he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. The body of Jesus Christ has been broken for us. He was beaten. He was marred. The Word of God says that he was beyond recognizable. You imagine being beaten that much. He took all those stripes on his body, flesh torn with each whip, all the pain, all that he endured, so that our bodies would not have to. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The blood is what took care of a sin problem, but the body took care of the curse. The body took care of the curse. The enemy wants to pull us back in to where that curse comes back upon us. Don't listen to him. The enemy wants to get us to a place where we doubt faith and belief. Don't listen to him. The enemy wants to tell us that miracles stopped happening, that people don't get healed anymore. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. We asked our children's church that they would join us here for the end of the service. If we did anybody get a note over them to them, let them know. Oh, and let them know when we are on our communion time. Everybody been served? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he wanted to let his disciples know that we're valuable. That he gave his life as a ransom for us. But before supper even started, he took the bread and he broke it and he passed it around. And he said, this represents my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of these together. Then at the end of supper, he took the cup, separated these two events because these are two separate things. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. In the old covenant, the blood of sheep, bulls, and goats covered up sin. But in the new covenant, the blood of the lamb washed it away. So we drink together, let's remember there is nothing we need to do, nothing we need to add to what he has done. Let's remember together. Praise God. Well, before we go, we want to have some of our praise reports. If you didn't get your praise report in, make sure that you, uh, you have a few moments here. You can, you can write this down. Pento, can you come up and read these for me? I'm missing my... First one is Daryl. says, I thank God for bringing my family through this trying time and allowing us to see the other side as a family unit. And, uh, oh, Brother Ray. I thank God that... Um, can read it. I thank God that. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> I thank God that once again a way has been made for me to attend the Doug Jones meetings. Oh. Hey, hey. Yay, thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't read it. Miss um, Ethel, 
for all the opportunities to hold fast to the principles and precedents I have been taught. It made the, the week very exciting. Mm -hmm. From the Jacobs. Had a great trip to Vermont yesterday and I am seeing God turn something around where my children are concerned. And we are getting a much needed vacation this week. From Miss Susan, the conference was great. Good meetings with my agent, editors, and fellow writers. The continuing workshop was focused on um, writing and partnerships with God. It was the best one I'd been in, in since going to these conferences. Praise the Lord for his goodness. And from Pastor Steve, got a needed procedure scheduled and done in less than a week when if at first it was looking like a much longer time and surgery went very well. I'm sorry, I, this is my praise report with praise. Um, praise and I had a praise report. I'm sorry, I cannot write as short as most people, so I'm going to try to read it quickly. But two Sundays ago, we had the opportunity to serve in an outreach event in Virginia. So, so many wonderful things happened during our time there, but two things stood out. We arrived Virginia later than expected due to traffic, um, and our first, mi first mission was to deliver food at a Christian camp to some pastors. Um, when we got there, it was time for the evening service, but though we were hungry, very hungry, we decided to stay for the service. Um, after service, we were uh, driving back. It was close to midnight. We were very tired and um, trying to figure out what we were going to eat. We got to the hotel to check in, and two guys and a uh, young boy you know, came in with the biggest box of pizza we've ever seen. <laughs> and they're like, pizza? Who wants pizza? So you know, we ended up having more than enough pizza, including the receptionist. And we looked at each other, and we acknowledged. We said, God just provided us supper. <laughs> And then the second thing that really stood out was um, in, the, in the morning you know, when we're going for the outreach event, we prayed, Lord, use us um, however you, you, you want to. And immediately we stepped out of the door. We, we saw the first person the housekeeper needed, um, was very discouraged that day, very disgruntled with um, what was going on. So we, we asked, can we pray for you? And we prayed for her, and immediately her countenance changed to happy, joy. It was, she was really happy. So that was our praise report. Then right. from Ms. Jennifer and Madison, Madison was being bullied in daycare by an older child, and because of much prayer, she has changed her heart towards Madison. Praise God. From Ms. Deidre, um, I'm sorry, I always pronounce it wrong. Ms. Deidre and, uh, and family, thank God for, um, for reinstating my home my home more, um, insurances? Yes. Amen. Amen. 